Well, this morning we're going to take a serious look at what Paul says next in Philippians chapter 4, particularly verses 6 through 9. So please take your Bible this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We've already looked at the first five verses where Paul wants the Philippians to stand firm. And they were going to be able to stand firm by living in harmony with one another, by rejoicing in the Lord, and by letting their gentleness be experienced by others. All three of these areas, though, were threatened because there was a problem between two women, Iodia and Syntyche. They weren't living in harmony, therefore that affected the church's ability to rejoice and manifest gentleness. When there is division, everyone suffers, not just those that are directly involved, but that obviously led to another problem, and that other problem is worry or anxiety. And that's what we find in verses 6 through 9. So let me take a moment and read them. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What a wonderful passage, because many times we are loaded down with worry. We're loaded down with anxiety. And here Paul tells us exactly in this passage how we are to respond when we're like this. How to cut it off. How to deal with it head on. And of course the answer to it is very simple as he already says there in verse 6 about prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Letting your requests be made known to God. And then look at the promise. God's peace is supplied to you. When you live this way, when you do not worry, when you are not anxious, but when those times happen and you pray and you have thankful prayer, God promises His peace. But you have to obey Him and not worry. But this was certainly a problem that was going on already. In fact, verse 6 begins, if we could rephrase it the way it would occur in the Greek text, it would say this, stop being anxious. I say it that way because this was already going on. Maybe they were worrying about the conflict between Iodia and Syntyche, and the problems that it was causing in the church instead of praying and helping to restore them. Or it could have been something else. But if we go just by the context, we could certainly say or infer that it had something to do with what was going on. Again, when there's conflict in the church, it affects everybody. You, you can't compartmentalize sin. It, it affects everyone. It touches everyone. 
But I want you to notice the two words as verse 6 begins. It says, be anxious. That's actually two words in English, but one word in Greek. And this one verb in Greek is translated here, anxious, and it's also translated in Matthew 6, 24, worry. And if you parse this verb or break this verb down, this would be a present active imperative. Now let me tell you what all those mean, because I'm not, not going to say that and run. A present is talking about tense. Tense is right here and now. It could be future. It could be past. But this is present tense. Present tense means it's ongoing. It started at one point, but it was still going on. It's continuous. And then when we talk about active, active is just telling us what the subject's doing. The subject is causing the action. Who is, who is the subject? The subject is the Philippians, these believers here in Philippi. They are the ones worrying. They are the ones causing the action. They're the ones causing Paul to respond with this command to stop doing this. And then, of course, we all know what an imperative is. An imperative is a command. So according to this verb here, they were already being anxious, and Paul is commanding them to stop. Stop doing this. You know, when I counsel people, sometimes that's really all the counsel I give. It's very simple. Just stop doing what you're doing. Just stop sinning. Just stop sinning against each other. But, 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 but wait a minute, that is, that's it? It's not more profound than that? Well, how much more profound do we need it to be? You're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and you're unhappy, you're miserable, and God says, Stop! Stop doing it. It's that simple. Now, I know it's not that simple to do, but the remedy is that simple. Just stop. But he doesn't leave us there. He replaces that bad habit with a good habit. And the good habit is to pray. So again, whatever they were anxious about, Paul adds another word, which is an adjective, and it's a negative adjective. He says, be anxious for nothing. That literally means not one. They were to be anxious about not one thing. And interesting that nothing or one thing, it appears at the head of the verse. So if you were to look at an interlinear Greek Bible, which would have the English and the Greek, it would start out this way. It would say, nothing be anxious. And the reason why that's put at the at the top of the verse, or the beginning of the verse, it's there for emphasis. You need to not be anxious about anything. You don't need to worry about anything. You say, but yeah, but you don't know my life. But God does. And He's the one that says, stop. He's the one that says, be anxious for nothing. Now, I know you and I justify being anxious. We find a way around that. We even replace it with terms like, I'm concerned. And really, in essence, we're just saying the same thing. We just used a different word to make it sound better and more justifiable. I do realize that some that have anxiety is a medical, physical condition, but others it's not. I know that this weighs down the heart, according to Proverbs 12.25, which says anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. You know that. I mean, it just, it's heavy on you. There's nothing good about it. 
But listen to Proverbs 12, 25. But a good word makes it glad. Sometimes you can be just really heavy, and maybe you walked in here heavy like that, heavy of heart, and someone just has a really good word to share with you, and boom, knocked you right out of that. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, not to worry. He said it three times. He said it in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So you got some here worrying about their life. They're worrying about what they're going to eat. They're worrying about what they're going to drink. They're worrying about what they're going to wear. I mean, how many times you walk to the mirror? I just don't have anything to wear today, but you got a whole closet full of clothes. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Verse 31, he said, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? I mean, he clothes the birds of the air, he feeds them, he clothes the grass of the fields. I mean, he takes care of those things. And you're of more value than them, he says. And then in verse 34, he says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, so you've you got some people that worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, and they worry about tomorrow. My goodness, they made it out of today, and they've already got tomorrow going. So you don't need to worry about those things. In fact, in verse 33, he says what you need to be concerned about is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, all these things will be added to you. Those are basic daily necessities. He will provide. In each of those verses, there's actually an underlying thought. And the underlying thought to not worrying is what? Trusting God. See, He will feed you. He will clothe you. He will provide for you. He will take care of tomorrow while He takes care of today. He upholds all things by the word of His power, according to Hebrews 1. Do you think if He upholds the universe, He can take care of us? I mean, He can. In Matthew six twenty-seven, Jesus essentially says worrying is pointless because you can't add a single hour to your life. So why worry? He even told his disciples when it came time for them to be persecuted for their faith, not to worry. He said in Matthew 10, 19, But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. Don't worry about it. Just trust me, Jesus is saying. Paul is saying, trust in the Lord. Trust God. So if he's telling them to stop doing this, and we've already said that that verb is a command, and if you are worrying, then you're being disobedient, and disobedience is what? Sin. Worry is a sin. Because, again, we're commanded not to worry. And worry is the result of not trusting God. You know, worry has nothing good to offer, so again, why should we do it? 
I think the biggest part of the reasons why we do this is because of our fallen nature, something that we inherited from Adam. I was reading some um, quotes this week on this whole subject, and I came across the, remember the 20th century poet, Helen Steiner Rice? Elaine, I just saw this morning, has something on her wall written by her. Well, she wrote poetry, and here's something that she wrote that I thought was fitting for us. She said, worry? Why worry? What can worry do? It never keeps the trouble from overtaking you. It gives you indigestion and sleepless hours at night and fills with gloom the days, however fair and bright. Isn't she right? See, I made a rhyme. She's right. What good is it going to do? It's not going to stop the problem that you're worrying about. John Scott, or Stott rather, he agrees when he says each day has troubles enough of its own, so why anticipate them? If we do, we double them, for if our fear does not materialize, we have worried once for nothing. If it does materialize, we have worried twice instead of once. In both cases, it's foolish. Worry doubles trouble. The main problem with worrying is it's an indication that we think God cannot look after us. It's a blow to the sovereign and providential care of God. James Boyce said, if you're worrying, you're not trusting. And if you're trusting, you're not worrying. It's that simple. John MacArthur adds, worry strikes a blow at the person and the character of God. Boyce again says, we commit sin when we worry. We do not trust God when we worry. We do not receive answers to prayer when we worry because we are not trusting. So then worry is a sin against the loving care of our Heavenly Father. And worry shifts the focus of attention. It shifts the focus of attention off God and on yourself. One writer said this, worry shifts the focus of attention from all the sufficient power of Christ to your human insufficiency and insecurity. Ultimately, worry can undermine your Christian witness by presenting God as impotent and unworthy of praise. Now, we don't want any of that, do we? But that's what it does. So again, there's nothing good about it. Again, is there anything good about sin? Not at all. Another writer said this, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. I mean, we might as well call it that because you're saying that you can't trust God and that you have to worry about this situation. So you're acting like God doesn't even exist. That's why he says it's practical atheism. And therefore, that would be an affront. So my simple word to you this morning, if you're worrying, stop. Stop doing it. You already heard what Paul said. You already heard what Jesus said. You already heard from other people what they say in terms of the problems with it. But I, I want to give you a couple more things before I move on. One is a beatitude that someone wrote. And they said this, Blessed is the man who is too busy to worry in the daytime and too sleepy to worry at night. Amen, right? 
So what are you to do then when you worry? Well, you can do what this one man did. He worried all the time about everything. He was a chronic worrier. One day his friends saw him whistling, and they said, Could that be our friend? They said, No, that can't be our friend. It is our friend. They asked him, Well, what happened? He said, I'm paying a man to do worrying for me. You mean you aren't worrying anymore? He said, No. He said, Whenever I'm inclined to worry, I just let him do it. How much do you pay him? He said, $2,000 a week. Wow. How can you afford that? He said, I can't. <laughs> but that's his worry. And, you know, when I read that, I was thinking, behind that little humorous situation, there is something very serious here. Who can we let worry for us? God. Well, Paul does give the antidote to this. He doesn't just tell them to stop doing something and leave them there. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. So if you're taking notes with me, the first one was stop being anxious. The second one is pray. Pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Every time that you are anxious, you are to, say it with me, pray. Every time you're anxious, every time you are tempted to worry about something, you are to do what? Pray. That's what we're to do. We're to pray. And Paul says, in everything, prayer and supplication. Supplication are basically specific requests that we make to God. And the idea of request, that, that's the subject of the verse. We are to pray. We are not to shrink from petitioning. We're to let the actual things asked for be ever and ever made known to God. Then no worry will ever be able to arise if you do that because you're focused on giving it to the Lord. Linsky asks, in what better hands can any trouble of ours rest than in God's hands? Paul's very words contain the assurance that God will attend to all that we ask by either giving this to us or giving us something better above what we could ask or think. Ever thought about it in that way? I mean, a lot of times we think if something doesn't happen, well, that is an answer. God's saying no. Or He's saying wait. Or maybe He's saying both and I have something better for you. Not what you think is good for you. I mean, we all have that in opinion, what we think God should give us, right? So Paul's language here is deliberately all-inclusive. There are no restrictions on applying it. Albert Barnes says, everything in reference to the supply of your wants and the wants of your families, everything in respect to afflictions, embarrassments, and trials, everything relating to your spiritual condition, there is nothing which pertains to body, mind, estate, friends, conflict, losses, trials, hopes, fears, in reference to which we may not go and spread it all out before the Lord. You take everything to Him. Everything. I take everything to Him. Can't hide anything from him anyway. So why should we try? He knows everything. <clears throat> David called on God in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, to search and know his heart. Listen to what he said. He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me 
and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So his, his prayer was for God to try him, test him, and lead him in the right way because left to himself, he'd never get there. And listen, understand this. When God is testing you, when God is giving you trials, because trials are a test according to James chapter 1. And when he's doing that in your life, he's not doing that to find out for himself anything about you or anything about your faith or anything about your heart. He is letting you see that. Because as you go through something very difficult, you're going to see what your faith is like. Your faith has to be tested. It has to be tried. And if you're going through a situation and you're just crumbling and you're falling apart and you're worried and all that, what does that say about your faith? Is it lacking? It's certainly lacking something, right? Or what if you go through this and you can do what James 1, 2 says, count it all joy. You have joy in the midst of that trial. You're not thankful for the trial itself other than what the trial is going to do. It's going to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's going to produce perseverance in your life. It's going to draw you closer to the Lord. It's going to strip away those things in your life that are not good for you, those things that are pulling you back, pulling you down, those things that are weighing you down. Listen, the best place to go when you're struggling of any type is to the Word of God. You know, when I read Proverbs 12, 25 a few moments ago, it talking about anxiety weighing down the heart. Do you remember what it said? But a good word lifts it up. I can't think of a better word than right here than God's word to lift you up. Go to it. You say, well, I don't know where to go. Well, let me recommend a topical Bible for you. Go out and get you a topical Bible. Then you can look up things by topic. Then you'll know where you're going. And then once you find where you're at and it gives you the information, now open up your Bible and go read the chapter. Just so you don't misinterpret it, so that you don't take it out of context. Because, you know, in those topical Bibles, sometimes you'll have one verse here, one verse there, and so forth, but then give you the whole chapter, then tell you the context of what's going on. So that's where you'll have to do that. But at least it'll point you in the direction. It'll show you a good place to go. I, I use topical Bible a lot. Especially if somebody's talking to me on the phone and they're asking me some questions and my, my mind has just drawn a blank. And uh, I can pull out my topical Bible and I can flip through it, what they're talking about, and hope that there's something in that topical Bible that I can share. Praying at the same time that there's something I can share with them that I know from the Word. But we need to be just like David was and run to our Heavenly Father who cares for us. In the words of 1 Peter 5, 7, we come to Him casting all our anxiety on Him because He cares for us. We come to Him with our supplication. We come to Him with our petitions, knowing that He hears our request. And we can also come to Him with grateful hearts. Because again, He cares for us. Our lives are in His sovereign hands. We walk by faith and not by sight. We are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding in all of our ways we are to acknowledge Him, and He will direct our paths, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you know, there are many things to be thankful for. So if you're struggling there, what to replace what you're worrying about, let me give you a few things that you can be thinking about. 
where you can thank the Lord. Over in Philippians 4.19, Paul is thankful by telling us that God will supply all your needs. That's what he says to the Philippians. According to Psalm 139.3, we can be thankful that he stays closely in touch in our lives. God is not in a distance. He's in our lives. And as I said, 1 Peter 5.7, he cares about us. Psalm 62.11, all power belongs to him. That he is making us more and more like Christ. And also there is no detail, according to Psalm 147.5, that escapes him. You know, the list doesn't end right there. That's just a few things. Albert Barnes says, We can always find something to be thankful for, no matter what may be the burden of our wants or the special subject of our petitions. So Paul says we're to pray, and we're to pray with thanksgiving. That's the antidote to worry. Thankful prayer. So when he says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Everything that would cause you to worry. Everything that doesn't cause you to worry. Everything. Prayer. Prayer. And supplication. With thanksgiving. Letting your request be made known unto God. So the antidote again is thankful prayer. And Paul called for this kind of praying throughout his letters in the New Testament. He said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.20, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ even the Father. He said in, to the Colossians in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. He also said to the Colossians in Colossians three seventeen that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. He said... Also in Colossians 4, 2, to devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. He told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we should always be giving thanks. We should always be overflowing with gratitude in whatever we do, either by word or by deed. Our attitude is to be that of thanksgiving. Again, this is in everything. And just when you think that that's not possible, let me just remind you of a few people who were able to do that in the midst of some really troubling times. Daniel, for example, he was able to do this when he heard that there was a law signed saying that prayer was only to be made to the earthly monarch. So Daniel 6.10 says that when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, and he had been as he had been doing previously. And what happened by him doing that? He was thrown into a den of lions. And God saved him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what were they thrown into? A fiery furnace. And God spared their life. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on their coats. And even the king says, I see a fourth one in there, one like the Son of God. 
See, I don't know what's, well, I do know what's better. Or what you may think is worse, you know, a storm that you're in the middle of or having God in the midst of that storm. You remember the disciples when they were in the boat and Jesus was sleeping on one occasion? And the winds and the waves and, you know, these guys were professional fishermen. Most of them were. They had been out there before like that. And some things just come up on you suddenly without any kind of warning. We had a situation like that happen. We made it back to the shore, back to the dock. We just tied the boat off. We ran, got in the truck. And I was so glad we did it at the time we did because when we were watching out there, the wind was just blowing. Our boat was just flapping everywhere at the dock, but it was just blowing everywhere. I think thankful that we weren't out there on the water when that was going on. But God would have taken care of it too. We can all swim <laughs> if we had to. What about Jonah? Jonah did it. Jonah expressed his thanksgiving in Jonah 2.9 in the belly of a great fish. He expressed his thanksgiving in the belly of that great fish. And what did God do? Delivered him, right? Paul did this throughout Philippians, even though he was suffering hardship and even though he was in prison at the time of writing this. Listen, if they can do that, you and I can do that, right? So they needed to stop being anxious. They needed to pray. And when you pray with thankful prayer, number three, God's peace will guard you. He says there in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God promises His peace when you cast your anxiety on Him. He promises to guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the idea of guard, that is a future active indicative. Let me tell you what those mean. Future is just what it says. Just what it sounds like. This is something in the future. Every time you do this, there is a future peace given to you. When it says active, that's the same thing we were looking at a while ago. Subject's causing the action. In this case, God is the subject. He's causing the action. He is the one giving the peace. The indicative is just a statement of fact. This is a statement of fact that when you have thankful prayer, instead of worrying, God is going to give you His peace. That is a fact. That's what that term means, guard, in its original language there in verse 7. I mean, listen to the promises right here. When you pray with thanksgiving... God's peace watches over you. Listen to Psalm 29, 11. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Now, raise your hand if you've seen that happen in your life. You haven't seen it happen in your life? He hasn't given you strength in those troubling times? Those moments when you felt like you weren't going to make it out of it? I mean, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is not going to give you any more than what you can bear. Sometimes you feel like you've reached the end of your, your rope and that you can't bear this no more, and guess what? Trial's over. When we get to that point, the trial's over. But God's not a liar. He's faithful. He's always going to provide a way of escape through those trials and temptations so that you can bear it. How many times have you had this happen when you're in a very difficult situation and it's weighing you down like that and you have Scripture come to your mind? 
Scripture coming to your mind, that is your way of escape. He's showing you what to do. Instead of running around and listening for some kind of still small voice or an audible voice or anything like that, go to your Bible and be a student. And look at what He's done for others. Right? We have a whole book right here. We have a lot right here that tells us and gives us the testimony of how He took care of His people. These are promises that you and I could count on. He gives strength to His people. He blesses His people with peace. You know, we've been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. starts right there. David said this in Psalm 119, 165, that those who love your law, and law is just another term for the Word of God, have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble because their heart's in the Word. And the word is in their heart. That's where you want to be at. So right praying not only brings about God's peace, but notice verse 8. It leads to think on the right things. Notice verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise... Dwell on these things. Think on these things. Here's what you to be thinking about. We are the product of our thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. So what we think does matter. That's why we should guard our hearts and our minds. Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, To watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You need to guard what you're listening to, what you're looking at. Romans 12.2 says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that involves not just memorizing Scripture, but also meditating on Scripture. You think on the right things and you meditate on the right things. It's, it's like what God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. To be careful to do according to all that's written in it involves what Paul is saying here in Philippians 4.8. So our ability to trust God, our ability not to worry, is based upon what we think on in verse 8. Because really, that's where the battle is. It's in the mind. And if you could head off that worry from the beginning, you see it coming, you say, nope, I'm not going there. I'm going to think on something that's true. I'm going to think on something that's honorable or something that's right or something that's pure or something that is lovely or something that is commendable. I'm going to think on something excellent, something that's worthy of praise. See, you have to head it off right there at the beginning. It's the same way with temptation. The very moment that enters your mind, you you better run. Actually, if it enters your eyes, (laughs) run. Run like crazy. Be like Joseph and get yourself out of there. So we are to think, we are to dwell, we are to meditate on whatever is true. And whatever is true is 
certainly found in God's word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the truth is also found in Jesus himself because he is the embodiment of God's word. You remember he is the word made flesh. And he even said of himself in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the what? The truth. So we're to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is not only the truth, but everything he said is truth. Because his word is true. That says a lot in a world that doesn't seem to know what is right or wrong or who are even denying truth like Pilate did when he asked Jesus what is truth. The Philippians, according to God's word, were to be true in their engagements. They were to be true to their promises. They were to be true in their statements. They were to be true in their friendships. They were to maintain the truth about God, about eternity, about the judgment, about every man's character. They are to be people of integrity. Notice what he says next. We're to think on whatever is honorable. That's referring to what is noble, what is dignified, what is worthy of respect. We're to think on things that are worthy of awe and adoration. We are, as Albert Barnes says, to show respect to all the venerable and proper customs of society when they do not violate conscience or interfere with the law of God. You and I should be model citizens. We should obey the law unless the law tells us to disobey God. That's, that's your only out. Other than that, you're to obey God. Pay your taxes. Sometimes you can't get around that anyway, right? But there are people that do. They find a way around it. So you need to do that. Pay your taxes. Just like when Jesus told Peter to go and throw his hook into the water and the first fish that came out, opened it up, and he found a coin in it. And he said, whose inscription is on this? He said, Caesar's. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. So pay your taxes, right? And there are a host of other things. But we need to be meditating on the sacred instead of what is actually profane. And that could be a challenge because there are a lot of things pumping into our homes. A lot of things in the airways. A lot of things that are lining the streets as you drive to your destination. When we were involved in church planning at one church, and I've done church planning a few times, but this was a church that was meeting at the beach. Guess what lines the streets as you get close to the beach? Half-naked women on billboards. That's not good for a man seeing that. You know? And that, that's, that just sets off the things you don't want to get in motion. I have literally, personally myself, found another route to get where I was going. And it was further and longer, but at least I didn't have to look at that. You know? I mean, all that stuff does is just fuel your lust. Notice what else he says. We're to think on whatever is right. This speaks of thinking on Righteousness, our thoughts to be in perfect harmony with the eternal, unchanging, divine standard of our holy God. We need to think on what is righteous. Next, he says, think on whatever is pure. Now, this is something that is morally clean, something that is undefiled. And then he says, think on whatever is lovely. That's thinking on something that's pleasing. 
pleasing to God. Something that is dear. And then he says, think on whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. And so since there are many things that are excellent and worthy of our praise, we're to focus on all of them. Focusing on godly virtues will certainly affect what you decide to see and what you decide to say with your mouth. That's because your thinking affects your desires and your behavior. So as a man thinks, so he is. So it's very important that you're putting the right things in your mind. That those things are what's going to occupy you. And as I said earlier, or asked earlier, that when you're going through a trial or a temptation, do you ever have Scripture come to your mind? And that's the way of escape. And if you don't, that's because you're not putting the Scripture in your mind. If you're relying just on this time, this is not enough. You need to follow this up. And as much as depends on you... Every day. Now, I realize that there's things that happen. You can plan that day, and you say, I'm going to do this, and then something interferes with it. In fact, that happened all the time. But just learn to live with it. Learn to adjust. And I tell you what, with today's technology, you're not far away from being able to listen to the Word. If you've got a phone, most people have smartphones. You can put a Bible on there. Most of them are free. You can put one on there that you can listen to. Again, most of them are free. And listen. Listen to Scripture. Because you want to get it in. And when you get it in, then you have it right there to help you. And to instruct you. And to give you wisdom. J. Adams says, whenever you catch your mind wandering back into the forbidden territory, and you can be sure that it will, change the direction of your thought. Don't allow yourself one conscious moment of such thought. Instead, Crisply ask God to help you to refocus upon those things that fit into Paul's list recorded here in verses 8 and 9. The attitude must grow within you that says, So if I have a fear experience, so what? It's unpleasant, it's disturbing, but I'll live through it. At least I always have before. And when you honestly can think in this way without becoming anxious, you will know that the change has been made. Amen? Now, Paul concludes this in verse 9. And here's how I wrote out this point. If you're following this on the back of your bulletin, it'll say practice in the middle. Just add one at the beginning, one at the end. Practice, practice, practice. You want to get it into your habits, right? And how you get it into your habits is by repetition. How you learn anything is by repetition. You didn't learn how to tie your shoe the first time you were shown how to do it. You had to do it over and over and over. You didn't learn how to speak the first time your mom or your dad said, mom or dad, trying to get you to talk. This had to be done over and over and over. You want, you want to know what's very difficult? Do that for somebody who can't do it repetitiously. My son doesn't speak. One of my kids doesn't speak. So he's very verbal in terms of noise. And so when you say things to him that you're wanting him to learn, even though he hasn't done it yet, and this has been 14 years, you just keep doing it, and you do it over and over and over. Now, sometimes he'll say, Mom, because Mom was over there whispering it in, her, in his ear. But that's what you got to do, right? you got to do whatever you got to do. But practice these things. This just can't be 
theory. This has got to be practice. And he says, when you do this, the God of peace will be with you. And Paul's already alluded to this in Philippians 3.17 when he called for them to join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. That's the same appeal that he made to the Corinthians when, when he told them to imitate me. Or what he said to the Thessalonians when he talked about that they were imitators of us. But you have to practice these things. In the words of James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You've got to be a doer. So, beloved, in the words of 2 Corinthians 13.11, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Doesn't that sound good? Here's another one. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So stop being anxious. Pray. God's peace will guard you. Think on right things and practice, practice, practice. So what are you doing? Are you worrying or praying? Are you praying with thankful prayer or with selfish prayer? Are you trusting God knowing that He will not give you more than you can bear? Or are you weighed down with worry? John MacArthur says, God's Word cultivates the godly attitudes, thoughts, and actions that will keep trials and temptations from overwhelming us. Right attitudes and thoughts must precede right practices. Only spiritual weapons will help in our warfare against the flesh. By avoiding anxiety through prayer and making other such attitude adjustments, we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There is a way out. There's a way to not get there. And that's by prayer. So, beloved... If none of this makes sense to you or you just don't see any way to do this, examine yourself this morning. Do you really know Jesus? Is He really your Lord and Savior? The Bible tells us in Isaiah 48, 22, there's no peace for the wicked. So, come to Christ. Be forgiven of all your sin and receive His peace. Let's pray. We thank You, Heavenly Father, for this privilege, this opportunity to go to Your Word and to find help in our time of need. That we can actually be anxious for nothing. Wow, what a list that you've given us, Lord. And I know we can't do any of this on our own. We need divine help. Because we're always saying we're laying something down, and then before we even walk away, we picked it back up. Help us to lay aside sin once and for all, as Peter said. 
and help us to cling to our Savior. Lord, I love your word in Psalm 37, which tells us to delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. What beautiful words, Lord. But help us to see that when we are delighting in you, you're giving us your desires. That's the desires that are being fulfilled in our heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for always providing what we need and always giving us what we need instead of what we want. Lord, may we take what we've heard today and may we apply this to our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,